Well, good morning, Fellowship family. It's great to have you with us as we continue in our series called Follower. What does a follower of Jesus look like? And really, that's our whole mission here at Fellowship Bible Church is help people find and follow Jesus. And it's my prayer that uh, you would find Jesus here if you haven't found him yet. And secondly, that if you have found him, that you would follow him, that he would be the center of your life. It's good to have you here. Today, I want to talk to you about your purpose. And when we talk about purpose, this is getting a lot of sound bites in our culture today. We're answering the question of what on earth am I here for? If you were to ask people, what on earth are you here for? You'd get a whole bunch of different answers back. Some would say from a strictly pragmatic sense, I'm here to move DNA from me to the next person, right? And that can be kind of the negative, you know, I, I serve no purpose except to transfer something onto the next generation. Others of us are more caught up in the self-actualization, you know, I have no needs, I just can pursue pleasure, and we can, we can invest our lives into the next adventure, the next discovery, the next angle of, of pleasure or satisfaction. Some of us who have uh, young kids, we just, our purpose in life is to make it through a day, right? <laughs> My kids are still living. Success. And we kind of, we kind of view things when you're in survival mode, getting through the day becomes the priority. Others of us love friendships. And so a, a, a successful life, a life of significance is how many friendships, how people value you or how significant you are in there. What do the scriptures say about purpose? I think that's a key area of, of uh, desire for all of us because without purpose, we find ourselves restless. Because we want to be a part of something greater than ourselves. We really do. And that is actually formed in you from God. Your creator has created and formed you to make life greater than yourself. I think our our culture can be really short-sighted on this. Because our culture defines significance and purpose all based on you finding it for yourself and you defining it for yourself. And I would disagree with that. I just don't buy it. Especially as I look at the scriptures and we see a great God who created everything and calls us to be a part of a grander story than anything we could ever dream of, plan, or imagine. I want to point you to a person who I think really lived out his purpose. His formed, his foundational purpose in life. And from looking at this person in the scriptures, I want us to kind of use it as a springboard for our own purpose. I think our purpose matches his. His name is John the Baptist. And I know that as we're talking through this, uh, many of you who are in our rooted um, discipleship experience are, are taking a look at your gifts and your abilities and, and what God has given you to serve him. And what we believe here at Fellowship Bible Church is that everyone is a minister and everywhere is a ministry. Your purpose is to minister and to make Jesus greater on earth as he is in heaven. And so there's not a difference. We don't see a difference between clergy, those who are paid to preach, and those who are laity, if you grew up in a church kind of like that. Or we don't see a, a big difference between someone who preaches here and someone who parks a car out there. We believe that we're all part of this. And if you have trusted in Jesus, you are a minister. 
And so we want to unleash the church. And what I get excited about when I talk about this, and especially to a room this size of people, is I just think about the potential of each of us if we all just seized in our God-given calling to be a minister of the gospel, and then we just took him outside of here. I mean, folks, think about what's going to happen in the next hour if I, if I stop preaching. I mean, in the next hour, you're going to be spread out all across this region and God is going to use you everywhere you go is a ministry because every one of you is a minister. As we look at John the Baptist, I want you to keep this in mind because his calling also needs to be ours. John the Baptist, we find out about him in Luke chapter one. In Luke chapter one, his uh, mother, Elizabeth, is um, barren. In other words, she's struggling with infertility and her husband, Zachariah, served at the temple And they were both kind of bummed. They're growing older in years and they're not having a baby. And any of one, any of you can tell us the the pain of infertility. And they called out to the Lord. And the Lord answered them. An angel came to Zechariah at the temple and said that you will have a son. And this is what they said in verse 17 of Luke 1. He will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the father to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Think about that. That was John the Baptist. That that was when he was formed in the womb of Elizabeth, God had a purpose for him. Do you realize God does that? God has a purpose and a formation of your calling even before you're born, before you're pre-born, folks. This is the knowledge. This is the significance and the purpose of God. Do you think God has that for you? I mean, this is John the Baptist. He's big, made, you know, he's, he made the Bible. <laughs> is, is this you? Could this really be you? Does God have this knowledge? Does he have that purpose for you? I would think he does. In, in Psalm 139, verse 13, it says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Folks, the preborn are not valued in our culture. They're not. God values the preborn. He values all of life. And because he has a plan for all of life. And we need to give sanctity to what God calls sanctified. And in here you have a knowledge of God before someone is born. Even 16 goes deeper. It says, your eyes saw my unformed substance. That's an interesting term there. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. So before I was born, before my birth date, you had knowledge of me, you had a plan for me. Take courage, church. Your God has a wonderful plan for you. You may not have been planned by your parents, but you have been planned by God. I was not part of a plan for my parents. I was an oops. I was a surprise, you're pregnant. My mom had four kids in five years, you know, barefoot and pregnant, look out. And so I was the final kid. They made sure of that. (laughs) And I know that some of you, if you realize, boy, I wasn't a planner, I'm the fifth of five girls or the fifth of five, my parents wanted a boy and I got got a girl or whatever. You can feel like you weren't part of the plan. I remember talking with this one woman. She's in her adult adult years, and she could not get over the fact that when her 
father heard out, heard that her mother was pregnant with her, he left her and the marriage dissolved. And she felt responsible just by being born that she was the responsible. She was the reason her father no longer loved her mother and her father didn't love her. I mean, what a void in life to feel this way. And that's where the gospel comes into our lives and redeems us. And, and we, our loving Heavenly Father calls us to a greater purpose than our own. Folks, you may have been a mistake to your parents, but don't ever think you are a mistake to God. You are part of his plan. Your loving Heavenly Father comes into your life and said, I knew you before the creation of the world. I've got a plan. I developed you. I brought you on this earth. I'm going to take you out of this earth, but I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you in your lifetime. Fulfill the purpose I've given you. So John the Baptist heard about this purpose from the youngest of age. I mean, his Zechariah would say, you're going to prepare the Lord. You're going to pray the, prepare the way for the Lord. You're going to, you, you know, Point people to the coming Messiah. That's exactly what he did. In John chapter 1, in John chapter 1, when John the Baptist is asked the question, who are you? We really even get to this picture of identity. He declares who he is. He says, I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. John the Baptist served in the Judean wilderness and actually got to go visit the Judean wilderness in Israel. And it is, wilderness is a polite term for it. It's barren, it's desert, it's hot, it's wasteland. But that's where his ministry was. That's where he would baptize people and, and we would call them to prepare your hearts for the coming king named Jesus, the coming Messiah. And he said, my whole picture is to get out of the way so you'll see less of me and more of Jesus. That's why he said I, he wanted to take all the speed bumps of way of people meeting Jesus. That's why straight, make straight the way of the Lord. Then if you move it, turn with me to John chapter one. In John chapter one, verse 29 you have John intersecting with Jesus. And this at this point, Jesus' ministry was starting to grow. And John's ministry had a pretty big following of people who went out there to be baptized and to listen to him preach. And in verse 29, it says, The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is, this is him pointing people. He not only stepped out of the way, but he pointed people to who Jesus was. And Jesus was really the salvation for them. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John would tell them that it's not in your works. It's not in what you're doing. It's not your acts of righteousness that saves you. It's in you trusting in the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He always pointed to Jesus and what Jesus would do for them. And then, reading further on in verse 34 of John chapter 1, he says, I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. He was the first one who called out the identity of Jesus. Most of Jesus' followers, to be quite blunt, didn't really catch who Jesus was until he not only lived perfectly, but he died finally on a cross and was resurrected on Easter. Most, most of his followers didn't really catch it that he really was the son of God. He was God in the flesh until after he resurrected. But John was the first one to get it. And it's early here in John's presentation of who Jesus is. And he caught it. First chapter. He's the one. He is the son of God. If you actually read to the end of the book of John, one of the last chapters says, these things are written 
In other words, John's saying, I wrote these things that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So right here, it's kind of a bookend. John the Baptist would be the first one who would call Jesus the Son of God, God in the flesh, who could save people from their sins. John would be the first one who would point people to Jesus and say, go to him, because I can point you to him, but I'm not the end game. He's the final He's the final solution for sin. He's the final solution to a savior. And he pointed people to him. And so what happens now, if you turn with me to John chapter three, is John's followers come to him. And it came at kind of a ministry crisis for what was happening. John's popularity was decreasing as the popularity of Jesus was increasing. How do you do with that? How would we do if another church here in Topeka was planted and started having exponential growth and some of you actually liked it more than you liked fellowship and you went over to that church? How would I do with that? I would have no problem because I don't, I'm not competitive and I don't get my significance out of people or numbers. I mean, come on, Jesus, hit me on something else. No way. I mean, this goes right down to our core, right? This goes right down to why do we serve in the first place? What is the, what is the goal of our, what's the purpose of why we serve Jesus? Why do, why are we in ministry? Let's take a look at this situation. It builds in John chapter three, verse 25. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, here's the phrase, and all are going to him. (laughs) So I like how this works. It actually starts out with a theological debate about purification, but it ends with, hey, everyone's going over there. That's how it really turns up, right? What would you do? What do you do in your business when a competitor comes in? And the competitor is stealing all your clients away. What do you do when you've served in a place for 20 years and a new person comes in with a dynamic new way of teaching and all the students want to go over to that person? What do you do when you've been faithful and you've shown up for work, but someone who's more magnetic gathers more people around you? What happens when someone's more interesting than you are? When, what do you do with that? Because it really unravels you at the core if you're not secure in Christ. If it's not going to be about Jesus, then it's going to be about all those other things that eat at you from the inside out. Look at what John says about it. He says, verse 27, John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I'm not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. Okay, everyone look here because here's the simplicity of this message. 
You don't have to remember the notes that you're taking. You don't have to remember all the illustrations I give you, but I don't want you ever to forget this simple phrase of John 3.30. It's the mission. It's the purpose of John the Baptist, and it should be ours in ministry. Here it is. He must increase, but I must decrease. This is all about making Jesus greater and stepping down from yourself. Can you say it with me? John 3.30, he must increase, but I must decrease. Can you say that one more time? He must increase, but I must decrease. Say it one more time without your eyes open. Just say it to God. He must increase, but I must decrease. You've just memorized a verse from the Bible. Check that off your list today. And there's cookies provided in the atrium for you on the way out. Here it is. My message doesn't get any more complicated than this because this is an easy one to say, but it's really difficult to do, right? He must increase. How do we do that? How do we do that? I want to call you to four things that John addresses in this, in his statement, that I think will guide us out of self-significance and into glorifying Jesus in all we do. And when we talk about glorifying Jesus, all we're saying is to make him greater, That's the end goal of everything. I want to make Jesus greater in my marriage. I want, I want to love my wife in such a way that she sees more of Jesus by the way I love her. I want to love my kids like their heavenly father loves them. I don't want to be the end goal. I want my kids at the end of my life to be walking with Jesus, not falling because I've left them. We want to point people to Jesus. We want to be just like John the Baptist in this picture. So how do we do that? There's four things. Let's talk about it. And I want to kind of craft them in, in order to do this, we need to decrease attention on some things while we increase attention on others. Usually decreasing our attention are on things that we naturally have a drift towards that when we're not anchored in Christ, we'll naturally pursue. And so we need to decrease our attention on that so that we can increase attention on what God uh, would want for us and what would ultimately make him greater. Let's look at th- four things. First, what is this? We've got to decrease our attention on people going to others. And we need to increase our attention on the people God has already given us. This is important in ministry. Because if we're not careful with our lives, we can get into a, uh, the, the, the dangerous cycle of a popularity contest. And here, John's disciples came to him and said, everyone's going to him. Everyone's going to him. And what does John say? Look at that in that passage. He says, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. What was John saying? He was saying, look, God is the giver of people to us. God is the one who entrusts people to me. And ultimately, I'm only going to be focused on those God provides today. I'm going to be content with who he's given us. That's an important thing for ministry. Because I think we all have a desire to be significant in ministry. But ultimately, the picture is, what are you doing with the people that God has already given you? This is a good concept for your life. Like, it's, it's always better for you if you're married to love the one you're with rather than to be discontent with the one you're with hoping you had someone else. It's always better for you as a parent to engage the children God already has given you even though they have morphed into monsters in adolescence. 
Yeah, it's better for you to relate and have fun with those kids rather than expecting or trying to control them into kids you don't have who you want to have. It's always better. And, and that platform for God's blessing in our lives is how are you doing with what he already gave you? Are you, are you leading and are you living with people around you in a way where God could trust you with more? It's like, how are you doing with your own income right now? Because I know we all want our incomes to double, right? We don't want just an extra 10 grand a year. We want them to double. That would be true. That would be significance. But how are we doing with what we have? Because that's the platform God gives us. Joe, I only have four kids in my mountain group. Great. Great. You've got four kids. Lead them well. Lead them well. Folks, numbers is not an indicator of success. I have been in healthy churches of 100 and in unhealthy churches of 100 people. I've been in healthy churches of 500 people and in unhealthy churches of 500. I've been in an unhealthy church of 1,200 and I've been in a healthy church of over 2,000, okay? Numbers, God goes, who cares? The, The big thing is what are we doing with those God has entrusted to us? That's important. That's important. That's the area of how we make Jesus greater. Is we don't look for greater numbers. We focus on the greatness of Jesus. Secondly, look what else John calls. He calls us away from our personality and into the person of Christ. How does he do this? Look what he he says there. He says, you yourselves, in verse 28, you yourselves bear me witness that I said, I'm not the Christ. But I have been sent before him. What he's saying over and over is, um, who is John the Baptist? The scriptures are real clear in how they reveal John the Baptist and Jesus, both in Luke 1 and also in John chapter 1. And over and over, he says, I'm not the light, but I bear witness about the light. I'm not the Christ, but I'm someone who bears witness about him. He realized that at the end of his ministry, it wasn't about people following him. It wasn't about his personality of how he did things. It was about the person of Christ in the lives of people. This is important if you're going to be used for great things for the Lord, is that you focus on the greatness of who Jesus is, not your own personality. And I know our personality is our spin. Our personality has our philosophies. It's how we view life. It's how we're wired. We take a lot of pride in our personality. We take a lot of leadership tests in our personality. I mean, we are tested out. We could have five different acronyms for what kind of people we are, and we've got to get over that to make Jesus greater. Now, I'm not saying that that's not important to use who you are in your gifting and in your wiring to serve the Lord, but it can't be the end goal. You know, I've led in churches for a long time now, and it's real easy as a church to be excited about what you're doing and the way you do it. And I've grown up in the church, and I've seen churches elevate one style of worship, or this is how we do it, or this is how we preach, and this is how we don't preach, and we're not going to be like that church and that church. We're going to be our church, and we're going to be brand conscious, and we're going, we got to get over that. We got to get over how we do ministry in order to make who we do ministry about. 
That's important for us. And saying those are, that, you know, how you do ministry is your bent and, and everyone is free to do that. But, but ultimately our ministries have to point to Jesus. Your purpose is about making his name greater, the person of Christ. That's why up here, I'll never bash another church in Topeka. Why? Because I don't, if anyone is preaching about the person of Christ and calling people to Christ, God bless them. God bless them. We're part of the church. When God looks down from heaven, he sees Topeka and he looks for the church in Topeka. He doesn't just see Fellowship Bible Church. He sees the church, everyone who calls on the name of Jesus. And so we as people need to celebrate that we're part of the church, but we're not the church in Topeka. Be careful on this because we can be really prideful on this. And I would even be careful if you came from another church to fellowship, be careful about bashing your old church. Be careful because that's the bride of Christ. And they're serving a role. They're pointing people to Christ. They may do it different than you would. They may worship in a different style than you. It's not wrong. They're lifting up Christ in their way. And so we need to be a part of that church. I pray for a spiritual awakening in the city of Topeka where thousands of people turn from death to life in the person of Jesus Christ. And that's not just going to take Fellowship Bible Church. That's going to be called the whole church that unites around Christ and advances him in their generation. I want to be a part of that. And so I get into partnerships with other pastors in Topeka of other churches who do things differently than we do it. And we celebrate the person of Jesus as a church. That needs to be something for us also. It can't be about our personality. And I just want to make one side comment on personalities of, pa- of pastors is it's real easy, especially as the church gets larger, for you to see this as my church. And this is God's church. This is the church that Jesus, where he's the head. I'm a messenger, but I'm not him. And so we can't be just wrapped up in my personality. We've got to set it free so that everyone here is a minister. Every place you go is a ministry. And we want to set you free on that. Thirdly, what does John do? He talks about either your position or the place of Christ, the rightful place of Christ. This is another important area, and he uses a metaphor to describe it. Look at what he says. He says, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices at the bridegroom's voice. That joy is now complete. I would take a look at this. He's in, in our day, if you're engaged, your mom and your dad of the bride side will plan the wedding and pay for it most of the time. Most of the time. That's kind of our tradition. She foots that bill. That's why I'm so thankful God gave me three sons. <laughs> but in that time, in an ancient Palestinian environment, in the Jewish world, the groom... And the bride would come together, led by the friend of the bridegroom, of the groom, okay? So this would be the best friend of the groom, and he would go, and he would plan the wedding. And he wouldn't go and personally, wouldn't write it down on a, you know, an invitation. He would go personally and say, my best friend's getting married to this person. Would you come to the wedding? He'd invite them. And he would prepare the time and the place, and then... Ready? PG-14 here. He would guard the bridal chamber. When the groom would meet with the bride to consummate 
their marriage. I just saw someone go, yeah, okay. So yeah, this would happen. And this friend of the bridegroom would do this. And so the groom and the bride, when they would come together, then this person would protect the privacy of this place, allow them to walk in, shut the door. Joy would be complete. Job done. Bride, groom, together. I mean, becoming one. Awesome celebration of that moment. Yeah, it ought to be exciting. It was God's idea, right? And so that was John. John said, look, I'm not the groom. I'm not the groom. I'm the friend of the groom. And my goal is to take people and as they come to me to point them to Jesus and then reunite them to Jesus. And the celebration is, is that moment of faith when they trust in the person and the work of Jesus. Joy, joy. I'm not the end of ministry. People with Jesus are, is the end of ministry. When he's their groom, I'm happy. That's the picture we ought to have in ministry. It can't be about our ministry position. I'm pastor, I'm director, I'm coordinator, or whatever the issue is, or I'm valued, I'm appreciated, I'm liked, I'm honored, I'm respected. Those are all of man's angle of approval for us, and we need to step away from our position, just like Jesus stepped away from his position in heaven to come and be a servant here on earth. And we need to put Jesus in the rightful place. And that rightful place is first. First, not second, first. And all of your joy comes when everything in your life makes Jesus first. If you're in sports, Jesus is first for my approval, not my a win or loss or my stats. If you're in business, it's not your income. It's not how many clients you had. It's not your five-year growth chart. It's Jesus at the source and the center of everything I do. In education, if you're teaching, it's, it's not what your students ultimately think of you. It's the place that you make Christ in your life and in your teaching. You increase attention about the rightful place of Jesus. And then it's either going to be about jealousy of others or it's going to be about joy in Christ. Look at what he says. This whole uh, conversation begins with, uh, people are going to him, being Jesus. His, his uh, disciples said that. But, but John ends it with, therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. I had a friend who told me, you know, a lot can get done in ministry if you don't care who gets the credit. And I totally believe that. I totally believe it. But there's something about us that wants to take the credit. And when we don't get the credit, or someone does it better than us, or some of our people go to other people and leave us in the process, it can sow that discontent angle of jealousy. And jealousies like cancer just eats you from the inside out. And it robs you of joy. I've talked to people who said, man, I worked next to that person for 15 years. I shared the gospel with them for 20 times, at least over the course of our working relationship. Yet... Yet when that other person who just moved in shared the gospel, they came to Christ. I'm a failure. No, no, you're not. You're not a failure. God uses you and it's ultimately God who opens up hearts and minds to the gospel. 
So we're all part of it. And it ought to be joy. It's, it can't be jealousy. It can't be jealousy. It'll eat you up. I found in, uh, as a ministry, there's a, there's a, um, there's a, a deceptive temptation to just find your significance in what people think of you. And if someone goes to someone else or someone not of this church disciples someone outside of, I mean, there's this feeling of jealousy and we've got to get over that. John saw it as my joy is complete when anyone goes to Jesus. That needs to be our joy. That needs to be your joy because when God's going to unleash you into this world, he's going to use you for his purposes. And that purpose ultimately has to be people with Jesus. I don't know how many years you've been serving in ministry. Some of you have not served yet. And we hope that you, that you will use this experience to get engaged and start serving and making Jesus greater. But I know that over the course of time in ministry, if you've been serving the Lord for any length of time, there can be jealousy that creeps up and there can be hurts and there can be wounds. Ultimately, the picture is where do people end up after they've been with you? Where do they end up? Are they with Jesus or are they outside of Jesus? You know, when it's kind of you've made it all about you, that when you leave the picture, they stop following Jesus. But the ultimate trajectory of our lives has to be, you've been with me for a while, but you're always with Jesus. That brings you joy. That brings you joy. I think about, again, that this room engaged these simple principles about he must increase, I must decrease. My goodness, this world would change. I think about the influence of everyone in this room, of you making Jesus greater by decreasing yourself. I mean, the gospel is going to expand. It's going to grow exponentially in this city. But look at what Jesus said about John the Baptist, a man who, who lifted and made Jesus greater while decreasing himself. Look what he says. He says, Jesus said, this is he of whom it is written, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare a way before you. I tell you, this is Jesus' commentary. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Think about that. Jesus had a lot of people to draw from. He could have said, oh, I, I think that one of the greatest person who's ever lived would be Abraham. I mean, he, he, he believed God when he was in, a, in an unknown place and went to an unknown place and, and, and sold it all and, and went and followed the, the promise of God. Or he could have said Moses. He led the people, the children of Israel, out of bondage in Egypt. Or Joshua, who fought all those battles, taking the promised land that God had given them. Or or King David, but here he goes, John the Baptist. Why? Because John pointed people to Jesus. John made Jesus greater by stepping away from himself. All the dreams you have for ministry cannot transcend making Jesus greater. We've got to make him greater, folks. But Jesus said this, I tell you, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist, even he says. What does that mean? What Jesus was saying is, John was the first to call it. He was the first to call me the Lamb of God. He was the first to call me the Son of God. And everyone else who calls it is just as great. You see that? What Jesus is saying is, now you're all invited. Make me greater. Make me greater by decreasing. 
That's exactly what Paul calls us. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, he says this, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's where our joy comes from. It's when people reconcile back to God. These are relational family terms. People finding and following Jesus, coming back to God's family. That's our joy. And it happens, it happens when Jesus increases with us decreasing. How do you do this? Well, let me tell you what not to do. And that's why I think the priority of these terms is important. You don't make Jesus greater by bashing yourself. Okay? Because monks have done that for years. And it doesn't usually result into anything except shame and guilt. And so don't, don't trash yourself to make Jesus greater. You'll always be wondering, I'm, I have the wrong motive. That really wasn't my heart's intention. And you can have a subtle pride with that, that you're humble and everyone else is arrogant. And that's not a route you want to go. You want to just make Jesus greater. You just want to make him greater in your life. So quick question as we close. What's one thing in your life that Jesus needs to be greater than? Jesus needs to be greater than my drive for popularity. Jesus needs to be greater than the image that I try to project of myself to others. Jesus needs to be greater than my focus of money or my worry about my kids. Jesus needs to be greater about my obsession of personal significance. What is it that Jesus needs to be greater? Maybe Jesus needs to be greater than your drive just to be in a relationship because you're lonely. Maybe Jesus needs to be greater from your fear of recent diagnosis that is wondering what in the world has just leveled you. Jesus needs to be greater than these things. What do you need to lift up? Jesus, you need to be greater than that because you are greater than that and I place you greater. And then, is there anything you need to decrease so Jesus can increase? Is there anything like you're pushing of yourself or you're defending of yourself when you're insecure? Is there anything in your life that you need to decrease? Maybe it's a critical spirit of ministry or of other people who are in ministry or people you struggled with or that you have wounds of or past churches. You got to forgive them and set them free. Decrease that desire to get revenge or to compliment someone by trashing someone else. Turn away from it to make Jesus greater. He must increase, but I must decrease. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, which shows us and reunites us and reconciles us to you. Thank you for Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. When we have Jesus, we have everything that we need in a relationship with you. May we, your children, be people who make him greater on earth as he is in heaven. May he receive the glory, not ourselves. May we turn away from anything. Lord, give us a, an appetite for more of Jesus to make him greater wherever you have us, to whoever you entrust us with. It's in his name and for his glory that we pray. Amen.